welcome to episode number 171 of the Northern Minor Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am your host. I am your online editor for the website. I help out with social media. And always tag us. We will retweet you. And uh, we have another special episode for you today. And this is another speech from the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. And this features Alex G. Below, former Naranda and Falconbridge CEO, Alex G. Below. And what I took away from this speech was, I, I thought it was a values speech. I thought like what he does is he highlights the importance of his colleagues, in a sense he gives credit to everybody else, and his family, and the special role that they played. And that, to me, is probably what the secret of his secret recipe. I mean, there's this traditional notion, and I think this is important for students. When I grew up in the 80s and 90s, there was a notion, a myth, that only jerks do well in the business world and that you have to be a nasty person. And I think that's a myth. I think what I've learned is really the higher status and the more successful people you run into in society, and this isn't a hard rule, but the more successful people you run into, actually the more nicer everybody gets. And I think Alex G. Below is a demonstration of this. So I think this is extremely important for, say, uh, younger students that don't necessarily know, you know, you don't have that much experience, that leadership, this is an exercise in leadership. This is a tutorial in leadership. That is the underlying story of this speech. So don't worry about every little word that's spoken. I mean, listen to the, all the words. But in a sense, what I'm saying is read between the lines here. Look at what Alex G. Below decides to talk about. Don't just worry about every specific little sentence. Look at what how he's structured this speech. It's quite interesting. And really what he does is he makes it about everybody else. And you know, it's probably true. It's probably for him an accurate speech. It's not just uh, false humility here either. I don't think that's at all going on here. I think he's speaking from the heart. So this is a values episode and a leadership episode. So I'd almost call this an executive management episode. So that is coming up. There's a lot of news flow right now. Uh, we have this coronavirus, which is coming out of China, and it seems to be spreading. Davos just happened last week, and you're hearing all these almost, I don't, they're not outrageous statements, but all these hyperbolic statements about how the boom-bust cycles are no more Recession is impossible this year. And sure enough, here comes a plague right on schedule. You know, so human hubris will never know a limit. And as the famous book was called, this time is different. And we always want to think that this time is different. And if there's anything we learn from the ancient Greeks is that human nature is a constant. So here we are, coronavirus. And I guess the reason why I'm mentioning that is I was looking at stocks. The market took a pretty big hit yesterday. And But look at Newmont. Newmont up half a percent. And I thought to myself, you know, there's a business that, you know, you could probably have a pretty horrific situation globally. And as long as their, you know, mines that are in the middle of nowhere continue to be able to sell gold, like that's a pretty tight business. It's not like some Johnson & Johnson type business where 
or, you know, Nike, where how are they going to keep selling shoes if everybody's staying inside? These are just speculations on my part. These are not recommendations. Let me be clear on that. These are just observations from out here at the Northern Miner podcast. Another little concern uh, thought I sort of had on the coronavirus is, you know, China may be able to build a thousand person hospital in two weeks, like they say they're doing. The United States and even Europe might have all these protocols to deal with this kind of virus and to contain it. But I wonder to myself, like, what about the poorer countries? Like, what if this spreads to poorer countries? What happens then? And what if it spreads to several? We don't know what's going to happen with this. This is the kind of black swan, as they call it, that can affect everything. So this is why I bring it up. Why are we talking about the coronavirus on Northern Miner podcast, on a mining podcast? Because that can affect everyone. And there's a heavy financial component to what we're doing here, a business component. These are about mining companies. And with that, uh, we have a couple of updates. Let me just take a look here. The young mining professionals are selling tickets to the Peter Monk and Ira Thomas Award. This is on Saturday, February 29th at the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto. So this usually happens the Saturday before PDAC, and it is this year. Early bird tickets are now on sale. You can find a link at their Twitter, at YMP Toronto. John, our former editor-in-chief, told me it was a great night and uh, last year. That is coming up with YMP Toronto, so you might want to check that out. And also, speaking of PDAC, PDAC has announced that they have a PDAC convention mobile planner. So that is available if you just go to PDAC's Twitter feed. And finally, we also have the nominations for the Women in Mining Canada Trailblazer Awards. And there are five awards and the deadline has been extended until January 31st. So if there's someone you want to nominate for the WIM Canada Trailblazer Awards, you still have time. You still have two or three days here till the end of the month to get your nomination in. So why not? If you know a great trailblazer in the mining industry, send her name over. So that is all going on. There is a very interesting news flow. So we're going to get right into that right now. And you can find us online at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube. And you can also find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner, which just keeps growing. I don't know if it's people listening to this podcast. The reason I mention this is it's not easy to grow on Instagram and ours is growing. So come check it out. I try and put beautiful pictures on there for you guys. You get mining cartoons that are exclusive from The Northern Miner. We put all sorts of stuff, so do check that out. It'll be exciting at PDAC 2. And also you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms and on YouTube. So check it out. Let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we have a big story from Cecilia Jamazmi uh, from Mining.com, who is our sister publication, and that is Barrick Reaches Historic Deal in Tanzania. Yeah, Barrick... They just took over Acacia Mining in 2019, and they had to come to a deal with the Tanzanian government. So I'm just going to get right into the story here. Barrick Gold and Tanzania have signed a deal that grants the African nation stakes in three gold mines. The company operates there, ending a long-running tax dispute and setting a template for negotiations with other firms. 
The arrangement comes three weeks after the two parties reached an agreement in which Barrick accepted to pay $300 million to settle outstanding tax and other disputes. The deal also includes the lifting of a concentrate export ban and the sharing of future economic benefits from the miners' operation in the country on a 50-50 basis. So not a cheap settlement at $300 million. And they also want a 50-50 deal on the future economic benefits. So a hefty price tag here to make a deal with Tanzanian government and continuing. In addition, the agreement ratifies the creation of Twiga Minerals, a company jointly owned by Barrick and the Tanzanian government, which will oversee the management of the Toronto-based miners' local operation. North Mara, Buzwagi, and Bulyan Hulu mines, which Barrick acquired through the takeover of Acacia Mining in September 2019, are now owned 84% by the gold giant and 16% by Tanzania. Barrick CEO Mark Bristow, and you might remember Mark Bristow ran uh, Rand Gold, and so he has a lot of experience in Africa. It was based in Africa. They merged, or I guess Barrick took that over, and Bristow became the Barrick CEO. So he was on Tanzanian State TV, and he said he was happy that Barrick's, quote, long safari in Tanzania had ended well. And Cecilia added, safari means, quote, journey in Swahili. Casting himself as a, quote, Zulu boy, born in Zululand, Bristow called the pact historical. Quote, many people said your criticism will chase away investors. What it's done is challenge the mining industry and all of us to embark on something where we win together or lose together. Don't you just hear the echoes of an ESG investment climate? There's a new melody in what people are saying. And, you know, like, uh, there's a new tone. Following the official ceremony on January 24th, Barrick in Tanzania will continue to work on implementing other aspects of the deal. In particular, the gold miner plans to partner with the University of Dar es Salaam, commit up to $10 million in funding over a 10-year period for training and skills development in the mining industry. And they have also budgeted $50 million for brown and greenfield exploration in Tanzania. And they are also going to earmark $40 million to upgrade the road between Bulyanhulu and Mwanza, as well as construct a housing compound and related infrastructure. Tanzania... Africa's fourth largest gold producer, is revising other mining and energy agreements as part of a law passed in 2017 by President John Magufuli's government aimed at securing more revenue from the country's resources. You can read the rest of that on northernminer.com. Very interesting development. This has a sounding of a new deal, so to speak. This has a new deal sound to it. And so I don't think this headline is an overstatement. Barrick reaches historic deal in Tanzania. Check it out on northernminer.com. And up next, we have a, another story. It's a pretty dramatic story. Ex-Valet CEO and others charged with homicide for dam disaster in Brazil. And this is by Trish Saywell, who is senior reporter and acting editor-in-chief for the Northern Miner. I'm going to get right into it here. It speaks for itself. State prosecutors in Brazil have charged Valet's former chief executive, Fabio Schwartzman, with homicide after the catastrophic tailings dam disaster last January at the company's Feiao Iron Ore Mine in Minas Gerais killed more than 250 people. Schwartzman left his position at the company in March 2019. 
Homicide charges also have been leveled against other former employees, while state prosecutors have charged Valet, its German contractor TUV SUD, and 15 individuals with environmental crimes, Bloomberg reported. Valet responded to the charges in a statement saying, quote, it believes the accusations of fraud are perplexing and that, quote, it is important to note that other authorities are investigating the case. At this point, it is premature to claim there is conscious assumption of risk to cause a deliberate breach of the dam. Valet trusts in the complete clarification of the causes of the breach and reaffirms its commitment to continue to fully cooperate with the authorities. I wonder where the CEO is. I mean, you might have heard of the ex-Nissan CEO skipping town out of Japan to go back to Lebanon, where he will not face charges. And you just wonder, I mean, this story doesn't get into it. Where is Fabio Schwartzman? Well, I guess we're going to find out if he's not appearing or if he's already appeared. In mid-December, the mining giant released a long-awaited report from a panel of experts on the technical causes of the dam failure at its Correjo de do Feiao mine in Brumadinho. The report found that the failure was, quote, unique in that it occurred with no apparent signs of distress prior to failure. So it's pretty just tragic situation on all sides. It does come back to this ESG issue. This dam failure killed 257 people and left 13 others missing for an assumed death toll of 270. There's a comment from Edward Sterk that Trish added from BMO Capital Markets. And he said in December, the report does not attribute blame, but looks at what occurred. The key conclusion is that the dam design, a lack of internal drainage and poor tailings deposition management throughout the life of the dam were the root causes. Our interpretation is that the dam would have been close to its failure envelope through most of its existence. The disaster has been described as, quote, a human environmental tragedy by the Global Tailings Review, an initiative of the International Council on Mining and Metals, the United Nations Environment Program, and the Principles for Responsible Investment. ESG is everywhere. I mean, that's the underlying story of a lot of this. And you know what? When you get disasters and tragedies of this magnitude, you understand why. It goes on. Uh, you can read it in detail on the northernminer.com. And speaking of ESG, we have a report from Egon Zender. Let's see what they say. Long way to go on ESG. Egon Zender report says... This is also by Trish Saywell. A study of environmental, social, and governments, ESG, practice in the mining sector that examined the top 50 listed mining companies by market cap and the world's 20 largest institutional investors, says much more work needs to be done to put ESG front and center in the industry. Quote, despite the compelling business case for ESG and its acceptance as a critical issue by essentially all mining companies, there is no company that stands out as the undisputed leader in ESG performance. The report by Egon Zender, a global management consulting and executive search firm, concludes. It continues, even the world's top mining companies still experience fatalities, spillages, community strife, conflict with NGOs, and public relations disasters. It continues, large investment firms like BlackRock and Vanguard, quote, have made ESG a priority. And BlackRock just came out with that huge announcement that they would be 
basically biased towards companies that are climate change conscious. And uh, so, yeah, you just see like, I mean, it's funny, we were talking in an earlier episode how it's starting to snowball. It's it was starting to snowball. Now I'd just say it's snowballing. Like it's becoming a massive. Helois Nell argues that it's only in the last two or three years that ESG has come to the forefront in the discussions in the mining sector. And I think that's true. Imagine three years ago. I think most a lot of people would be hard pressed to say what ESG was three years ago. It's only in the really the last year and a half, two years that you've really seen it in the last six months. Like it seems to be gaining momentum by the week here. So here's a quote from Nell. We feel that through a cross section of the mining sector, they are only just starting on ESG. I think so. I think the consciousness has is really changing basically as we speak. Quote, with mining, the trigger point was Brumadinho. So our last story, there wasn't much of a response from the investor community or otherwise in 2015 when the Samarco Dam burst. Sandu, head of research for Egon Zender's global mining and metals practice, said in an interview from New Delhi. But with Brumadinho, Investors stood up and said it really shouldn't have happened. It came as a shock worldwide, and then you had the Church of England stand up and put a spotlight on the industry. Further, they say mining companies must establish ESG as a top priority. Quote, there needs to be a strong voice from the top. That's the most powerful thing that any mining company can do. Nell says in an interview from Johannesburg, there's still a lot of ground to be covered. Among the report's recommendations is to have mining CEOs, quote, drive ESG across the company and be willing to sanction bad behavior rigorously and forfeit short-term profit for long-term sustainability. It just goes on and on. And read it more in depth on thenorthernminer.com. It's a fascinating read. Yeah, mining company CEOs are on notice. It's uh, If you're not thinking about this, if you don't have a plan, then at this point you're not doing your job. So, <laughs> yeah, so, and you know, this is just a little quick little editorial on this as well. If the business community continues in this direction, it really does, like a lot of the anti-capitalists, the, you know, the more extreme side of the environmental uh, movement can be pretty anti-capitalist. And what's interesting about this whole story is if ESG kind of succeeds on its mission and changes the actions of business to be much more friendly and environmentally friendly, I'd have to say it's a point in the camp of the capitalists, isn't it? If capitalism can solve the problems that the environmentalists and anti-capitalists are complaining about, that's an oversimplification because it doesn't take into you know, account of, say, wealth disparity. But nevertheless, if they get the environmental thing sorted out, which they seem to be at least moving in that direction, that, that's quite a, quite a testament to capitalism's power. I don't think anybody can deny that. But, you know, again, this is a free-speaking society. Feel free to leave a comment on the podcast page, whether it's the SoundCloud or the Northern Miner page where we post this. And then I just wanted to finish off with what I'd call just a totally awesome article by David Perry, Top 10 Large High-Grade Uranium Projects. You know, I've been looking at the uranium market for a long time. You know, when I started investing in little stocks way back when, before I ever had even heard of the Northern Miner, I had been buying uranium stocks. And you really don't know what's going on. You search through these uranium stocks and you really have no idea... And then David Perry produces this article, Top 10 
large, high-grade uranium projects. Like, what do you want to know as a uranium stock investor, as a uranium mining, as a uranium mining company investor? What do you want to know? You want to know the top ten large, high-grade uranium projects, and it's fascinating. You really see how Cameco dominates. Like, all of a sudden, you go, you know, maybe as a uh, junior investor, you might think, oh, Cameco is too boring. It's not cheap enough. You kind of want those small stocks that are going to get super high leverage if the, if the uranium price goes up. But then you see how much Cameco owns. And then you go, oh, wow, Cameco is only at $9, you know, or $10, whatever it's at now. So all very interesting. And I'm going to go through the top three. And then you can subscribe to the Northern Miner to see all 10. Uh, the first is MacArthur River. And Cameco owns 70% and Orano 30%. Orano is based out of France and it has proven and probable reserves of 2.5 million tons for up to 6.91% uranium oxide. And so that's number one. The second, interestingly, is NextGen Energy's Aero Deposit with 3.4 million tons at 3%. U308. So NextGen has the second biggest deposit. That was like, now I understand why that stock was so hot, you know, seven or eight years ago when that deposit was found. Uh, now I understand. Okay, that's the second biggest high grade uranium deposit in the world. And the third that we're going to list here is Jabiluka, which is owned by Energy Resources of Australia, and they have. 15 million tons, but it's only at 0.55% U308. So that's a pretty massive deposit. And that's in Australia's Northern Territory within the Kakadu National Park, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which also hosts the Ranger Uranium Mine 22 kilometers to the south. So I guess they filled out the required forms uh, to get the UNESCO, to mine uranium out of the UNESCO World Heritage Site. So that to me was... Uh, my favorite article of the week. That was a Northern Miner Classic, David. So congratulations on that. And with that, let's turn to metal prices. And first we'd like to Thank our friends at Infomine.com for providing us these prices. You can just put in Infomine and metal prices into Google, and you will get the page I'm looking at. And on January 28th, gold is the highest it's been since we've started recording this metal price on a weekly basis. It's at $1,579.28 per ounce. Gold is about $23 higher than last week, so... Nice move there. Silver is at $18.05, which is four cents higher than last week. Platinum is at $989.04. That is $23 lower than last week. Palladium, the star of our drama for the last six months, is at $2,298.31. So dropping back from its high of $2,479 that we recorded last week, I think it actually got higher than that in between, but it is down on the week by $180. 
Yeah, that doesn't mean it's over. Like when you get these huge moves higher and then lower, that's the nature. Like I remember Rare Earths way back 10 years, nine years ago, it'll go up 15% a day and then it goes down 10% or 20. This, so it's that's the nature of a bull market. Maybe that's why they call it a bull market. So let's see. The story is not over in Palladium yet, but let's see. So Palladium pulls back and on January 24th, Copper is at $2.71. That's down 14 cents. You wonder if coronavirus might be impacting that. Aluminum is unchanged at 81 cents. Lead is down a penny at 89 cents. Nickel is down 39 cents to $5.89. And tin is down 39 cents to $7.67. Cobalt is at $14.63, which is 11 cents higher than last week. And zinc is at $1.07, which is 3 cents lower than last week. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Alex G. Below and his induction into the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame at the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame ceremony on January 9th. And... He is introduced first by Anthony Vaccaro, who introduces the video, and you'll hear a quick summary video of Alex G. Below's contributions to the mining industry. Then following that, he is introduced by Chris Twigamolisi, who is Senior Advisor at Hatch and a Canadian Mining Hall of Fame Director. And then finally, you hear Alex G. Below. So I'm going to read just a little bit about Alex G. Below. During an illustrious career spanning 50 years, Alex Below earned his place in a select group of industry leaders who shaped and built Naranda and Falconbridge into the most successful mining and metallurgical giants in Canadian history. He has the rare distinction of contributing to the growth of both companies, starting with Naranda, which he joined at Gaspé Copper in 1954 after earning a degree in metallurgical engineering from McGill University in his home city of Montreal, Quebec. He, he created a new smelting process at Naranda, which helped solve some of the problems associated with acid rain. He closed a leach plant to protect a salmon river in Quebec, and he helped open mines in Peru, major mines, and what you might call company builders at Peru, Chile, and, and Quebec. He was CEO of Falconbridge and president and CEO of Naranda. So this guy had a heck of a career. I mean, this is the kind of guy you'd expect to enter into the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. So here it is, Alex G. Below, and we'll see you on the other side. I'll celebrate the career of Alex Ballow. Alex Ballow's career success can be attributed to his unique combination of technical, financial, and people skills. Born in Montreal in 1932, Alex attained a bachelor's degree in metallurgical engineering from McGill University in 1954. I was in chemical engineering and my professor, he attracted me away from chemical engineering into metallurgy with a scholarship. From 1954 to 1976, Alex held various positions with Miranda. He became known for his unassuming style and commitment to innovation. Uh, he had many things that he could have been uh, seeking recognition for, but didn't. 
and it took me years to get stories out of him that would allow me to realize just how much he had contributed to the company. Alex's technical breakthroughs and his focus on safe, environmentally responsible resource development help create the strong platform of sustainability that underpins the entire Canadian mining industry today. Alex's commitment to innovation was evident in his early career projects. He was instrumental in the development of a new smelting process at Naranda. The construction of that reactor, the new smelter, also enabled us to build an acid plant which, um, and capture a good percentage of the gases. It allowed Horn Smelter to continue on in operation for a lot longer time than other smelters because it was able to solve some of the problems associated with acid rain and it was certainly energy efficient. If you ask me honestly, I would take no credit for it because it was a true teamwork. Alex was also key in the development of the Gas Bay Puncher, designed to mechanize a labor-intensive process. There was a young chap on my shift who insisted that the, uh, the puncher was too arduous a task and it was a much easier way to do it. Fortunately, we were both working on a shift, so we secretly assembled one, and, and that's how it was born. Since the late 1960s, we have sold over 250 units of the gas bay puncher to virtually every copper smelter and some nickel smelters all over the world. By 1976, Alex had become VP of Naranda's copper and zinc operations. In the late 1980s, he was the principal negotiator in the acquisition of Falcon Bridge. We were sitting at a Naranda board meeting when a one of the secretaries came, ran into the office saying that somebody's calling. It was a, a company called Trelleborg. They wanted a partner because they couldn't afford all of Hockenbridge. Within 12 hours, we were on a plane. We liked each other right away. We trusted each other. And within two days, we had closed the deal to buy what turned out to be one of the biggest operations in Canada. That deal changed the course of Alex's career as he became CEO of Falcon Bridge and also President and CEO of Naranda. He retired from his position of Chairman of Falcon Bridge in 2003. In the period that he was, had these responsibilities, we opened up three of the really fine mines in the world, company makers on their own. There was the Antimina mine in Peru, the Coyawasi mine in Chile, and the Raglan mine in Quebec, and they are all still very active today. Alex was also a big supporter on Naranda's research center. At one time we had uh, 100 researchers. We also were top of the line in the business of concentrating uh, minerals, not just smelting them and producing, but uh, concentrating them. And uh, some of the top people in that field were products of the research center. Alex also led the industry in addressing environmental concerns. At one point, he closed the leach plant in Gas Bay to protect the York River. We closed it because the York River is a salmon river that is loved by everybody, not just Gaspesians, and was going to last a lot longer than our old body. Alex attributes his success to what he learned during his time living in small towns, where he took on community and family challenges. He calls his son Lou the heart and soul of the family. One of our children is uh, afflicted with Down syndrome. 
and that's one of four children. So we had a problem with schooling for him. At the time, we were living uh, in uh, Ruan Aranda, where we had to drive him 40 miles in blinding snowstorm to get him to a school where they would accept him. Now in Oakville, uh, he's sitting pretty. While in Gas Bay, Alex helped launch and was the editor of a local newspaper for eight years that had a circulation of 2,000. So you ran the, the Voyageur newspaper. And is that you in the photograph? Yes, it's, it's me. I'm, the, I'm actually doing a headline there because we were using the offset process for printing, which was pretty well pioneering work for uh, newspapers. Following his retirement, Alex went on to work on 19 company boards. He is recognized as being a great mentor throughout his career. I'm sure there are a lot of other people who would want to thank Alex for the mentorship and the sort of enthusiasm that he showed, enabled them to broaden their experience from metallurgists out to the broader mining industry. He brought all that, I think, to a lot of people and particularly to myself. His impact is still felt today, years after his retirement. Ahead of his time in many ways, his countless innovations benefited both workers and the community at large. Here to present the award to Alex Ballow is Chris Twig-Molsey, Senior Advisor at Hatch and Canadian Mining Hall of Fame Director. Chris. Well, good evening, everybody. It's my great privilege and pleasure tonight to introduce Alex Ballow, who's earned a unique place in Canadian mining history. He led and helped build both Naranda and Falconbridge, as we've heard, into two of Canada's most successful mining and metallurgical empires. Driven by a visionary understanding of our business and the future importance of safety, productivity, and the environment, he developed and implemented key innovations in copper production, initially at the Gas Bay, as we've heard, subsequently the revolutionary Naranda reactor at the Horn, and more recently for the nickel business, the ice-breaking concentrate carrier to Raglan. His ability to assemble winning teams, develop staff into future leaders in our industry, and to deliver successful projects globally is testament to the strength and impact of his leadership. I'm honored to present this award to Alex. Please come to the podium. In case you didn't recognize it, that's the Hungarian Rhapsody. My parents both were born in Hungary and they met here in Canada. And I was checking on my father's detailed past. Uh, his first job in Canada was mining up in the God's country, they call it, northern Ontario, where they, all they were mining was stone. But there was a little bit of lime sown in it, and the, the, the guy that was my father's boss, who didn't speak Hungarian, but he said, advised him that uh, it was not a job for any human being, because it was a little too dusty. So that's my background, which I didn't know about till about uh, three weeks ago. And we're supposed to uh, identify people who have played a special role in our careers. And uh, it's a little tricky. Uh, I'm sure I'm gonna forget a few. Uh, I've got a dozen here, but I, which I 
briefly tell you about. These were largely ordinary people, specifically people like Albert Pelche, who is a self-made instrument technician, whose stubbornness and creativity led to the development of both the Naranda reactor and the Gaspé puncher. And this was a guy who did not finish university. Pierre-Henri, he was a Gaspésian chicken farmer who painted safety signs for Gaspé Copper and was editor of the Gaspé Voyageur uh, before becoming vice president of Pratt & Whitney. Scotty Gary, a true Scot dedicated to safety and health in our mines and, and smelters. Mike Nucky and Graham Farkerson, two Canadian geologists who've made history. Philip Mackey, a talented metallurgist and friend. David Carr and the Braskan team. Bill Brissenden and Alf Powis, the best mentors one could possibly have. David Bumstead and Bill Deeks, marketing geniuses. Frank Frantisak, who guided Naranda and awakened Canadian mining industry to growing environmental concerns. And then there was Lance Taggart, who shared with me in the dramatic acquisition of Falconbridge, and we traveled the world together. Jerry Hatch, his outstanding engineering teams were frequent partners on major projects. They did projects that were not just bricks and mortar, but they became a part of our company virtually. Of course, the team, the Ballo Forche team, was the most important team of all. Uh, my wife and daughters, and my two sons, are not both all present because Lou, who you saw on the movie, uh, couldn't make it. Now, uh, he's mentally challenged, and my family will be the first to claim that our characters were all built by Lou. My children uh, played a special role in my career, and they were obliged to move their home several times, and without exception, they valued the experience. Many thanks to the organizers of this outstanding event. And there we have it, Alex G. Below at the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, the value of integrity, value of values, it always comes down to values. So I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to have more next week. The news flow will continue on northernminer.com. We'd like to thank you once again for joining us. And if you want to leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory, we'd be super grateful for that. And share it with your friends. So until next week, take care. Take care.